The best laid plans of mice and men, they often go awry. You might not know this, but this idiom was actually presented first by a Scottish poet named Robert Burns, who actually wrote a poem to a mouse. Imagine that. And while I'm certain that most of us have yet to take the time to read the entire Scottish poem that I'm referring to, I'm also certain that all of us has already discovered that the best laid plans of mice and men, uh, they often go awry. (laughs) I'm sure we've all experienced this personally. In other words, listen, those who spend their time making detailed plans about the future, well, they soon discover that even our best laid plans end up being interrupted by unexpected events. And so you can have all the fun you want making your five-year plan, but guess what? it's probably going to be interrupted. The reason why is because, listen, we don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes, let alone in the next five years. That being the case, well, we can rejoice in knowing that our creator is able to see the end of time from the very beginning of creation. At the very moment the Lord created everything, he already knew how everything would turn out. The reason why? Well, it's because he's the infinite God who sits outside of time and space. He's not bound by our time. He's not bound by our finite space. No, he's the infinite God who's able to see the end of time from the beginning. And listen, he not only knows what will happen in the future, but he's also able to present us with perfect prophecies which provide us with important information about the things that will happen in the future. And while it's true that our infinite creator is able to reveal the future in advance, well, it's also true that he's able to put in motion his own perfect plan for the future, which will, without, uh, without debate, most certainly come to pass. The proof of my point? Well, it's found in the Passover plan. The proof is found in the Passover plan that the Lord has already presented here in our time today that we're going to examine Luke's account of the events that took place at the point in time when Christ Jesus was sent to begin fulfilling our heavenly father's Passover plan. And as we study the scriptures before us this morning, we're going to begin to see that the Passover plan was first presented through revelation. Uh, Secondly, we'll learn that the Passover plan was also presented through submission Thirdly and finally, we'll learn that the Passover plan was presented through communion. Well, with this as our outline, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Here we find Luke. He's recounting the days that led up to the Passover when Christ Jesus was crucified. And as you make your way to the 22nd chapter of Luke's gospel account, well, I want to take a moment just to remind you that the Passover celebration that the Israelites uh, w- would uh, engage in, this was actually an annual spring festival that was observed there in Jerusalem as the children of Israel took the time to commemorate that time when the Lord secured the freedom of their forefathers by enabling them to flee from Egypt. As we make our way through the text before us today, we're going to consider how this annual celebration, better known as the Passover, was actually designed to reveal the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus. And with this as the focus, let's begin our study of Luke chapter 22. I want to direct your attention beginning at verse 1. Here Luke writes, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests... And the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered Judas, 
surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Now here in these verses, we find Luke, he's reminding his readers about the religious leaders who were actually plotting to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. But before we consider the prophetic nature of their sinful scheme, uh, we should first notice the prophetic timeline. Uh, According to Luke, well, this was taking place there as the Feast of Unleavened Bread was drawing near. They were getting closer and closer to this Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it was at this point in time when the religious leaders of Israel, they began trying to figure out how they could kill Jesus Christ without upsetting the multitude. The Lord Jesus Christ at this point in time uh, was cherished by the multitudes. And so they wanted to be able to pull off their plan without getting attacked by the mob. Uh, Luke also informs us that the Feast of Unleavened Bread is also corresponding with uh, the event that we call the Passover. And just to be clear, you know, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is an annual seven-day feast which begins at the time of the Passover. It's also important to note that the word Passover, it's found there in verse 1, it's translated from the Greek word Paschal, which was used in reference to the Paschal Festival. And the Paschal Festival was created by the command of the Lord so that the Israelites might memorialize and continue to commemorate the way in which the Lord freed their forefathers from the land of Egypt. Well, it's true that this Passover festival was a reminder about that day when the Hebrew slaves were finally set free from Egypt. Uh, The Passover festival was also a prophetic picture that revealed the time when the Redeemer would arrive. To prove my point, let's uh, consider what the Apostle John wrote here in John chapter 13. It's verse 1. Here John tells us that it was before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the Father. Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew his hour had come. Jesus knew that, that the Passover actually corresponds with the time of his crucifixion. And it was at that point in time when he realized that this was you know, on the horizon, that's when he started making his way to Jerusalem so that he could fulfill the prophetic symbolism which was revealed in the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. In order to grasp the, the prophetic symbolism which was revealed there in the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, I want to spend some time considering the initial command that the Lord presented before the very first Passover. Now, with this as the focus, I want to consider Moses' account of that event, which is found in the Old Testament book of Exodus. And so hold your place there in the Gospel of Luke, and let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. As you make your way to the 12th chapter of Exodus, I just want to take a moment to remind you that there came the day when the Lord sent Moses to stand before the Pharaoh of Egypt. And it was at that point in time when when Moses was told to tell the Pharaoh that it was time to free the Hebrews from their slavery. Rather than obeying the word of God, the Pharaoh of Egypt, he rejected Moses' request for their freedom. And it's for this reason that the Lord proceeded to send 10 plagues upon the people of Egypt in order to punish Pharaoh for his disobedience. 
You might remember that the first plague, well, it caused the water of the Nile to turn into blood. The second plague then brought an invasion of frogs. The third plague resulted in an infestation of lice, while the fourth plague brought a swarm of stinging flies. The fifth plague affected the livestock there in Egypt, while the sixth plague brought boils upon the Egyptians. The seventh plague brought hail. The eighth plague brought a swarm of locusts. And the ninth plague brought darkness throughout the entire land. And it's sad to say that after each of these plagues, you know, the Pharaoh continued to harden his own heart against the Lord. And and halfway through this, we see the Lord starts hardening Pharaoh's heart as well. And that is until the 10th and final plague, which would claim the lives of every firstborn son living throughout the land of Egypt. At the same time, the Lord then presented the people of faith with a Passover plan, a a Passover plan that would spare them from this 10th and final plague. With all this in focus, uh, let's consider the instructions that we find here in Exodus chapter 12. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 3, here we learn uh, that the Lord says to Moses, go and speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this very month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it raw because that's just gross nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, And will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now here in these verses, we find the Lord. He's presenting his people with his Passover plan, which would then provide them with a way to escape the punishment that was coming upon the people of Egypt. And, and it provided them a way to escape the 10th plague. And it's here in these verses where we find the Lord, he's helping his people to understand the importance now of a substitutionary sacrifice. That's right. He's helping them to understand that these lambs would act as a substitutionary sacrifice in place of their firstborn sons. Not only that, but as we continue to consider the purpose of the Passover plan, uh, we must not fail to, uh, to consider here the additional instructions that the Lord goes on to present to the people. With this as the focus, if you would, let's look once again here at Exodus chapter 12. I want to look at the very next verse. It's verse 14. Here the Lord goes on to declare, 
so this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Now here in this verse, we find the Lord commanding his people to continue commemorating the Passover plan by continuing to keep the Paschal festival each and every year. They're supposed to continue sacrificing lambs on the same day of the year, every year, as a memorial to that time. And in this way, the Lord was preparing his people for the day when the Lamb of God would finally arrive and fulfill the prophetic symbolism which was revealed every year at the Passover celebration. This is precisely the point that John the Baptist was making in John chapter 1. Here, John the Baptist introduces the Lord Jesus by saying this. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. This is how John the Baptist introduced the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. In this way, he was informing the Israelites that the Lord Jesus is our Passover Lamb. And as the Passover lamb, well, the father, he sent his only begotten son to offer himself as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. That's right. Jesus was sacrificed in our place so that those who trust in him, well, they can escape the, the final plague of everlasting punishment. What this also means then is that the Passover plan, which was put into motion nearly 1,500 years prior, this was actually God's way of revealing his Passover plan for, for providing a way for us to escape that final plague of everlasting punishment. And as the Passover lambs were being prepared for slaughter at, at the time when Jesus started gathering together with his disciples there in Jerusalem, it was at that point in time when our Savior was also being prepared for the cross. I like the way that the prophet Isaiah describes this in the 53rd chapter of his book. It's there where he declares, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That's right, our Savior was sent to the slaughter like a Passover lamb. And in this way, the Lord Jesus here fulfilled the prophetic symbolism that we find in the annual sacrifice of every Passover lamb. And while it's true that the Father symbolically revealed the Passover plan uh, while the people were still there in Egypt, well, it's also true that the Lord prophetically revealed the Passover plan in the pages of his holy word through the prophecies that pointed to this Passover celebration. To prove my point, I'd like you to make your way back with me to Luke chapter 22. And as you arrive there in Luke 22, I want to back up and begin reading once again at verse 1. Here again, Luke tells us that it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread drawing near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Now, as we consider the way that these religious leaders there in Israel were scheming so that they could kill our Savior, uh, you might like to know that this wasn't like just something that was a surprise to God. This isn't something that, that was shocking to God. It wasn't like, whoa, this wasn't part of my plan. No, actually, uh, this was exactly part of his plan. 
As we consider the way in which the religious leaders of Israel were scheming so that they could kill our Savior, you might like to know that this was actually a fulfillment of God the Father's Passover plan. And, and while there are a few uh, messianic prophecies that point to the day when the unrighteous rulers would, would come and, and try to kill Jesus Christ, you know, I, I want to draw your attention to one of these prophecies, which is found in the book of Psalms. I'm, I'm referring to the 22nd Psalm where King David describes the day when our Savior would be surrounded by a congregation of of wicked Israelites. It's here in Psalm 22, verse 16, where David here is presenting the prophetic perspective of of our Messiah by declaring this. He says, dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Now here in this poetic prophecy, we find King David, he's describing the day when the congregation of the wicked surrounded our Savior. And, and listen, we also find a mention to dogs surrounding him. This is a reference to the, the Gentile Romans surrounding him. But then the reference to the congregation of the wicked, this is a reference to uh, the, the wicked Israelites who surrounded him. This prophecy was actually pointing to the day when the unrighteous rulers of Israel arrested our Messiah and then tried the Lord Jesus for the high crime of blasphemy simply because of a false accusation made against him. And seeing how this prophecy was fulfilled just before the beginning of Passover, this provides us with yet another example of the way that the Father presented his Passover plan through the prophetic revelations that we find in the Old Testament prophecies. Another example of this can be found here in Luke chapter 22. If you would look with me once again, beginning at verse 3, here we learn that Satan, he entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. Now here in these verses, we find Luke describing the day uh, when the devil possessed this disciple named Judas Iscariot. It was at that point in time when Lucifer led Judas to strike a deal with the chief priests of Israel. And it's important to understand, you know, because this might be one of those verses that causes some people to wonder, well, well, well can, can the devil and his demons still possess those who trust in Jesus Christ? Listen, it's true that Judas was one of the twelve. And yet at the same time, this was at a period of time prior to the day of Pentecost. And, and, and the reason why that's important is because on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was sent to then seal born-again believers. Up until that point in time, uh, well, people weren't sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so we know that Judas was not sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, because of his own desires and because of his own uh, plans, uh, you know, he allowed Satan to then possess him. And, and based on the leading of Satan, Judas then went and, and uh, you know, set out to betray our Savior for a certain sum of money. At the same time, though, he was simultaneously fulfilling the messianic prophecy that we find in the 41st Psalm. It's there where King David declares, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Yeah, Judas fulfilled that prophecy. And what this also means is that God had already revealed this, that this would happen. He already revealed this there in the book of Psalms. 
I should also remind you about the Apostle Matthew's account of this betrayal, where we learn that one of the 12, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. Uh, According to Matthew here, the chief priests of Israel, they gave Judas 30 pieces of silver. They gave him this, uh, this amount of money so that he might help the temple guard to locate the Lord Jesus at a time when he was separated from the multitude because remember, they, they feared the multitudes. What this also means then is that Judas, he was willing to betray our Savior for essentially $200. Yeah, he, he was willing to betray our Savior for $200. And not only that, but he was simultaneously fulfilling specifically the prophecy that we find in Zechariah chapter 11. There, Zechariah tells us about the one uh, who would betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Here's how Zechariah put it. They weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. That's right. God already knew it was going to happen. And he knew how much Judas would receive. 30 pieces of silver. God fully understood what would happen. And it's for this reason that he's able to present the the Passover plan in advance. And as we consider the fulfillment of these prophecies and so many more, we can see how the Passover plan was presented through prophetic revelation. But not only that, the Passover plan was also presented through submission. Now, in order to explain what I mean by this second point, I'd like you to turn your attention back to Luke's account found here in Luke chapter 22. Let's pick up our study beginning at verse 7. Here Luke writes, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room there make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Now here in these verses we find Luke, he's advancing the account to the day when the Passover lambs would then be sacrificed there on Temple Mount. And according to Luke here, uh, the Lord Jesus instructed Peter and John to go and prepare everything so that they could then celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which began with the Passover Seder. Uh, While the Passover Seder was designed to remind them uh, about the way that their forefathers had been delivered from Egypt, The Lord was also sending Peter and John to go and prepare this place where the Passover plan would be partially fulfilled through the event that has since become known as the Last Supper. Yeah, that's what they're preparing. They're they're preparing the, the room for the Last Supper. Now, we'll learn more about this Last Supper uh, as, and, and also the commemoration of communion that we now currently celebrate here in the church age. But before I get too far ahead of myself, I'd like to take a moment to consider the obedience of Peter and John. I'll remind you here, the Lord Jesus instructed Peter and John to go. He says, go and prepare the Passover so that they could then observe this annual feast. And according to Luke, they obeyed. Yeah. According to Luke, they obeyed and they went and prepared the Passover meal according to the instructions of the Lord. Notice again there in verse 13. Here we learn that they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Yeah, they obeyed. 
They were submitting to our Savior. We should also take a moment to consider Matthew's account, which is found in Matthew chapter 26. It's there where we learn that the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. From this, we can see that it wasn't just Peter and John. I believe that Peter and John probably received the marching orders, that they had two different goals you know, that they were both supposed to take care of. But then chances are they turned around and led the rest of the disciples to help them out as they all went to go prepare the Passover. And in this way, we can see that the Passover plan was accomplished through the submission of our Savior's servants. They submit to the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this way, uh, this was all fulfilled. Not only that, but the Passover plan was also accomplished through the submission of this, uh, of this individual who was willing to provide the upper room of his house so that Jesus could have a place to celebrate this Passover festival. Uh, they found the guy walking with the pitcher of water, which would have been unusual for this period of time, you know, and, and they followed this guy to the house and then that guy led him to the master of the house and the master of the house said, sure, I got an upper room. It's fully furnished. Go for it. Yeah, that guy too was submitting to the plan of our Savior. Finally, we must not fail to realize that the Passover plan was accomplished through the submission of our Savior, Jesus. To prove my point, I want to take some time to consider the prayer that Jesus prayed shortly after the Passover Seder, but before the time when he was arrested. With this as the focus, if you would hold your place here in the Gospel of Luke, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. And as we make our way to the 26th chapter of Matthew's gospel account, I just want to take a moment to remind you that the father didn't force his only begotten son to sacrifice himself for our sins. The father didn't take Jesus by the arm and twist it up behind his back and say, you're going to do this. And Jesus like, I don't want to do it, you know, and it wasn't a wrestling match. No, Jesus simply submit himself to the Passover plan of his heavenly father. The Lord Jesus willingly submit himself to the Passover plan of the Father. And it's here in Matthew's account where we find our Savior actually revealing his submissiveness to the Father. You would look with me here at Matthew chapter 26. I want to begin reading there at verse 36. Here we learn that Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will but as you will. Now here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus. He's filled with great sorrow. He's deeply distressed as he considers how this Passover plan is about to be fulfilled. And it was during this moment of deep distress when Christ Jesus cried out in prayer to his heavenly father. We see him asking, is there any other way? Is there a plan B? I understand the Passover plan, but is there a plan B? Is there another way to accomplish the salvation of sinners without going and offering myself as a sacrifice? Well, it's true that he asked his father if there was any possibility of a plan B. It's also true that our Savior was ready to submit himself to the Passover plan according to the perfect will 
of God. He said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This is clear submission. In this way, we see the Passover plan was presented through the submission of our Savior. And in light of his example, I want to consider something that Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2. It's here where Paul declares, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of what? A bondservant. And coming in the likeness of men. And being found in, the, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now here in these verses we find Paul, he's, he's encouraging every Christian now to follow in the humble footsteps of our Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus presents us with this beautiful example of, of being submissive. And just like Jesus, who humbly submit himself by, by setting aside his glory and taking on the form of a bond servant. In order to fulfill the Passover plan of the Father, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And now, those who trust in Jesus should also have the same sort of submissiveness, which will lead us into a life of obedience with our Heavenly Father. As we set aside our own so-called reputations, let's submit ourselves to the instructions of our Savior. And as we do, he will continue to accomplish the Passover plan through every believer who will simply become his servant. Now this brings us to our third and final point because listen, the Passover plan was not only presented through prophetic revelation and the Passover plan was not only presented through the submission of our Savior, but the Passover plan was also presented through communion. And in order to explain what I mean by this, let's make our way back to Luke chapter 22. And uh, it's here in Luke 22 where we find Luke's account of the Passover Seder that the Lord Jesus shared with his disciples just before his arrest and crucifixion. Now, with this as the focus, I want to pick up our study of Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 14. Here Luke writes, When the hour had come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take Take this and, and divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as, as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Now here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus. He's celebrating the Passover Seder with all 12 of his apostles. And just to be clear here, you know, the Passover Seder typically included the roasted lamb, which uh, points back to the Pascal sacrifice. There were also bitter herbs, which represented the bitterness of their slavery in Egypt. 
Uh, there was this applesauce-like mixture that included apples and nuts and wine, which represented the mortar that the, uh, the Jews used there in Egypt. Uh, there were also three pieces of unleavened bread, representing the, the bread that the Israelites took with them as they fled from Egypt. And, and then there was also the wine, which uh, would have been consumed during the, the Passover Seder. And as we consider these traditional elements of the Passover Seder, uh, we can be fairly certain that this was the same meal that the Lord Jesus had with his disciples just the year before. A year prior, Jesus probably had the same exact meal with the same disciples. And guess what? It was probably the, the year before when he had the same exact meal with the same disciples. And, and the year before that, he probably had the same exact meal with his family. And the year before that, and listen, every year that the Lord Jesus was here on the earth, this is probably the Seder meal that he had every year during the Passover. And knowing that this had been something that he celebrated several times in his life, we should notice there in verse 15 that Christ Jesus expresses his excitement about this Passover celebration. That he's excited about this specific Seder celebration. And it's in verse 15 where he says, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. In other words, the Lord Jesus was eagerly anticipating this specific Seder celebration and for good reason to understand his excitement. Let's take another look here at verse 15. Here Jesus declares with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Yeah, the Passover Seder had yet to be fulfilled. The Passover plan was still in motion. And we find the Lord Jesus helping his apostles to understand that this would be the last Passover Seder that he would personally enjoy until the Passover plan was finally fulfilled. And knowing that this would be the last supper that he would enjoy with his disciples before his crucifixion, the Lord Jesus proceeded to present the apostles with the instructions that they would then go on to need in order to lead the church age into the commemorative sacrament that we now call Christian communion because these are connected. Yeah, the Passover Seder is connected to Christian communion. As a matter of fact, look with me again here at Luke chapter 22. It's beginning at verse 17. Here Luke tells us that Jesus took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now here in these verses, we find, we find the Lord Jesus here. He's, he's helping his apostles to understand that the Passover Seder, it was not only a commemorative celebration that pointed back to the day when the Israelites were first set free from Egypt, but the same Passover Seder that they celebrated every year at the same period of time, this was also a symbolic picture of the sacrifice that Jesus, the Lamb of God, would then offer there on the cross. And much like the Passover celebration, which was designed to remind the Israelites about the, the blood of the Lamb by which they were set free from the 10th plague, well, the sacred sacrament of communion is now designed to remind us about the blood of the Lamb and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ by which we are redeemed. 
Now, when it comes to this commemorative sacrament of communion, uh, we aren't told how often we ought to partake uh, of these sacred symbols of our Savior's sacrifice. Uh, nowhere, there, nowhere in the scriptures does it say, and, and this is how often you take communion, right? If we were to follow the original Passover plan, because remember, communion is connected with the Passover. And so if we follow the original Passover plan, then communion would be something that we celebrate every year. Uh, and, and this would take place at the time of Easter because Easter corresponds with the Passover. So if we go with the original plan, then communion is something that would become a yearly commemoration. At the same time, though, we might also consider Luke's account of the primitive church, which is found in Acts chapter 2. There we learn that the Christians continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, if the breaking of bread mentioned here in Acts chapter 2, if that's actually a reference to communion, then it would seem to me that the sacrament of communion would be celebrated more often, possibly once a week or possibly once a month, or it's just hard to say. Because there's nowhere in the scriptures that tells us, you know, this is how often you, you know, celebrate communion. So then... What should be the frequency of our communion service? Well, when it comes to the question about communion and the frequency of the commemoration, I like the way that Paul addressed it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There he declares, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. How often? We still don't know. But as often as you do, make sure that you have your focus straight. Paul's not telling us how often we should take communion with the rest of our Christian community, but regardless of how often we consume the sacred symbols of our Savior's sacrifice, we do well to remember that this religious ritual is a commemoration of Christ's crucifixion. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity to celebrate our communion with Christ, it's crucial for every Christian to contemplate the substitutionary sacrifice of our Savior as we begin uh, to memorialize what he has done. At the, t- at the same time, we should also consider the warning that Paul presented in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's beginning at verse 27 where he declares this. He says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body. Wow. As we consider this warning, it's important for us to realize that Paul, he had already addressed those who were showing up to the communion service there in Corinth so that they could simply drink free wine. That's right. It was earlier in this same chapter where Paul actually rebuked those who were coming to church and getting drunk on communion wine. That being the case, Paul warned them about the possible repercussions that would come upon those who took communion in an unworthy manner. Now, to further grasp what it means to take communion in an unworthy manner, well, we should take a moment to remember what happened to the first guy who took communion in an unworthy manner. With this as the focus, let's look back to Luke chapter 22. I want to begin reading there at verse 21. Here the Lord Jesus declares, Behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. 
but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Here in these verses, we find the Lord Jesus informing his apostles that one of them was his betrayer. One of them was about to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies about the friend who ate his bread and then betrayed him. And as I previously pointed out, you know, the betrayal was actually a part of God's predetermined Passover plan. And that's why in verse 22, Jesus says, truly the son of man goes as it has been determined. In other words, uh, this was already predetermined by God. And you might not know this, but there are many things that God has already predetermined. The betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ is most certainly one of them. and, And Jesus knew it. This was part of the predetermined Passover plan. And it was going to be fulfilled just as God had revealed. At the same time, it's also important to realize that Judas had the free will to make this decision. He he, he wasn't trapped into this decision. He wasn't forced to betray Jesus Christ. No, this was his free will decision to make. And he made it. Meanwhile, you know, after hearing all of this, the rest of the uh, apostles are questioning among themselves which of them uh, would do such a thing. And it wasn't like self-introspection, like, is it me? No, no, no. They're all looking around going, is it you? Uh, it's, not, it's not me, it's probably you. And then they could tell it was Judas because of the shifty eyes, you know. He was... It's the guy with the shifty eyes, always. Listen, as we take the time to consider the final days of Judas' life, I believe that we gain a a clear understanding of what Paul may have meant when he warned his audience about the dangers of receiving communion in an unworthy manner. Because that's exactly what Judas did. He received communion in an unworthy manner, and he ate and drank that communion as a judgment to himself. To prove my point, I would consider uh, with you something that Matthew wrote in Matthew chapter 27. There the apostle Matthew writes this. He says, then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Here in these verses, we find Matthew. He's recounting this final decision of Judas. And while it's true that he was there at the Passover meal, eating the bread of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's also true that he ate and drank in an unworthy manner. And the reason why is because he received the bread and he received the wine while simultaneously preparing to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't eating by faith. He wasn't eating as a follower of Jesus Christ. He wasn't eating in humility as he considered his own sinfulness. No, he ate as a deceiver who had already put in motion a plan to betray our Lord and Savior. In this way, he was eating and drinking judgment to himself, which is why he knew he was condemned. What this means is that he ate 
the symbols of communion by rejecting the true communion that Christ actually wants to have with us. To further comprehend the point that I'm seeking to make, it's important for us to understand that the sacred sacrament of communion, it's not only a religious ritual that reminds us about the way that Jesus has fulfilled the Passover plan, but the sacred sacrament of communion is also a spiritual symbol that represents the relational communion that we now have with the Father by faith in Jesus Christ. As we consume the bread, as we consume uh, you know, the grape juice, as we consume these symbols of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, it's really a, a religious representation of the relationship that we are to have with Jesus Christ, the communion that we are to experience uh, throughout our entire life. Well, it's true that the unrepentant unbeliever is spiritually separated from this communion with Christ. The born-again believer can rejoice in knowing that those who truly trust in Jesus Christ, we've actually entered into everlasting communion, and the reason why is because God has taken up residence within us. To further grasp the way in which the Passover plan then enables us to enjoy everlasting communion with Christ, uh, we should consider the worship service that John describes in the book of Revelation. So with this as the focus, let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 5. And as you make your way to the fifth chapter of Revelation, well, I just want to take a moment to remind you that the original Passover lamb, that was actually a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ. Let's not lose sight of this. But the Passover plan began there in Egypt and, and those, those original Passover lambs that were sacrificed and, and the blood then was painted on the doorposts of the house. You know, that was a picture of what Jesus would accomplish uh, at the time uh, of his crucifixion. And, and much like the blood of those Passover lambs, uh, the redeemed, uh, the, 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 the redeemed firstborn sons of Israel, you know, during the days of Moses, that, that's a picture of us getting saved or us becoming believers as we embrace the shed blood of the lamb and paint that over the doorposts of our lives, if you will. And in this way, the blood of the lamb redeems every born-again believer from the everlasting wrath of God. Now, with all that in focus, let's consider uh, the way that the inhabitants of heaven worship the lamb of God as they stand before his throne. Look with me here at Revelation chapter 5. I want to begin reading there at verse 9 because here John tells us that they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Here in these verses, we find the apostle John describing the, this worship service as the, the people there before the throne sing this new song. And if you're wondering, you know, who wrote the lyrics of this song, I can assure you it's not Hillsong. It's not Hillsong. It, it, no, it's, it's Chris Tomlin. 
but, uh, well, actually he just took the song that was there and then just added on to it because that's, you know, that's what Chris Tomlin does. But, but anyway, so listen, they sang this new song and we should notice how those who are standing there at the throne of God, they're not singing just anybody. They're, they're singing the praises of the Passover lamb, the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth the lamb slain so that sinners like us could be redeemed by his blood. Christian, listen, the the Passover plan, the one that was predetermined in eternity past when God decided that Jesus would be the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth, uh, this predetermined plan was then accomplished on the cross when the blood of the lamb was shed for our sins. And now, whoever places their faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, well, uh, we celebrate the Passover plan through our communion with Christ Jesus. As we celebrate the religious ritual of communion, what we're actually celebrating is the everlasting relationship that we get to enjoy uh, with Jesus Christ. And as we consider the everlasting communion that we uh, will eventually enjoy there before the throne of our Savior, I encourage you to remember that the Lord is also inviting us to enjoy communion with him today here within our Christian community. And I'm not necessarily talking uh, about the religious ritual of communion, which again is important, But that, again, is just symbolizing the communion, the relationship that we are to enjoy with Jesus every single day, and specifically within the context of the Christian community. I like the way that Paul explains it in Ephesians chapter 5. There he declares, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Christian, listen, we don't have to wait for heaven to experience real communion with Christ today. Uh, And and while I have no doubt that our communion with Christ is going to be so much sweeter there in heaven, this still shouldn't stop us from enjoying the communion that we're able to experience as we corporately sing the praises of our Redeemer here with the rest of our Christian community. As we show up to church with the goal of worshiping the Lamb who was slain for us, the Passover plan is once again presented through the communion that we have together with Christ Jesus. That being the case, you know, I have no doubt that the enemy is doing everything that he can to convince Christians that it's just okay to just not come to church. You know, you can just watch online. You can just do church at home online. No, you can't. No, you can't. That's not doing church. Coming to the congregation and engaging in true communion together as we sing the praises of the, of the Lord, this is what the church is about. This is what communion is about. Jesus didn't send his disciples to 12 different rooms. No, they took one upper room and together had communion. And this is the importance of the church and being here and being a part of it and and submitting to one another in the fear of God as we sing his praises together. 
as we show up to church with the goal of worshiping the lamb who is slain for us, the Passover plan is being presented through the communion that we together have with Christ. Now, as we begin to wrap up this message, I encourage you to remember that the best laid plans of mice and men, they often go awry. And it's sad to say that so many Christians are planning themselves out of their church services. We get so busy with all of our plans that all of a sudden it's just like, well, we don't have, we don't have any more time for the Christian community. With that being the case, I encourage you to remember that the only plan that will actually be fulfilled perfectly is the Passover plan. And so we can rejoice in knowing that those who embrace the Passover plan by faith in Jesus Christ, well, we're going to be welcomed into the kingdom of God where we, we will then worship the Lamb forevermore. And, and while I'm not meaning to suggest that you shouldn't have a five-year plan, most certainly have fun. I've never made a five-year plan. I can't think that far ahead. But, but if you can, God bless you, you know, go for it, have fun putting that down on paper. Let's, let's see how it works out over the next five years. Listen, I don't even know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. I might fall asleep. Who knows? I'm not trusting in a five-year plan. I'm trusting in the Passover plan. Because that gives me a clue into what's happening in eternity future. And that plan will come to pass without fail. The proof of my point? Well, it's found in the fact that the Passover plan was prevented through the revelation of God's prophetic promises. And God cannot lie. The Passover plan was also presented through the submission of our Savior who offered himself up as a sacrifice for our sins. And the Passover plan was presented through the communion that Christ now provides to those who trust in him. And knowing that his Passover plan will be accomplished and without fail, I encourage you, let's trust in the Passover plan by trusting in the Passover lamb. Let's trust in the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, because Jesus alone is able to redeem us according to the perfect Passover plan of God. Let's pray.